Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. I'm going to ask you today, what do 1, 2, 3, and 4 have in common? That one's pretty easy, right? Uh, they're, all, they're all numbers. They also flow in that specific order. It, if you look at my title for this message today, you might wonder, well, what do sound words, godliness, contentment, and generosity have in common? Well, they all point us back to Jesus, and they flow in that order. Right doctrine about Jesus leads to godly living, which leads to contentment with what God has provided me, which leads to being glad to share from my extra with those in need. And so I invite you to look with me today as we're continuing in this sermon series in 1 Timothy. Uh, we're in chapter 6 today, and I invite you to stand in reverence to God's word as we read. 1 Timothy 6, beginning with verse 1. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers, rather they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching which accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. For those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Let us pray. Lord God, we just thank you for this, your word today, and we pray that as we meditate on these verses in Scripture, you would guide us into understanding uh, your perspective, the perspective you want us to have, too, regarding earthly possessions and wealth. Uh, and Lord, we, we pray that uh, you would help us to have that eternal perspective that you want us to have. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Before we go to what I would consider the heart of this text, we need to deal with the first couple of verses there, and they bring up this subject of slavery. Back in... Um, 1865, the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery and also involuntary servanthood in America, but it still allowed for involuntary servanthood of, or, or forced labor of prisoners that were convicted of crime. Several state constitutions have still had language like that on the books until recently, and, and um, even just last Tuesday, then voters in Vermont and Tennessee and Alabama voted to end that as well. 
Well, as we look at these two verses here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the question comes up, well, does, does the Bible actually like, endorse slavery? Is that essentially what's said here? As it encourages bond servants, and some translations use the word slaves, to honor and to serve their masters? And, and we're really a bit appalled at such a suggestion. I appreciate John Stott's insights here, and, and I'm going to share a quote here. He says this, Slavery has, be, has been described as a monster abomination. Not that there is anything demeaning about service when it is given voluntarily. On the contrary, Jesus demonstrated its dignity by washing the disciples' feet. He called himself both servant and slave, and added that each of his followers must be the slave of all. What is degrading and fundamentally destructive of a person's humanness is when one person is being forcibly owned by another and thus robbed of all freedom, end quote. We might wonder, why didn't Jesus and the Apostle Paul call for complete abolition of all slavery? Did they're not doing so actually then endorse it? And I don't believe so. I don't have time to cover this in great detail today, but I want to explain just for a little bit the historical situation regarding slavery at the time that Paul writes this and then give us three brief conclusions that we can see in this text. We need to understand that slavery was extremely common in the New Testament era. <clears throat> it was very much a part of a Greco-Roman culture. Almost all wealthy people had slaves. There were estimated to be more than 50 million of them, including about a third of the inhabitants of Rome. And so to call for complete abolition of it at that point would not likely have been received as in our country back in the 1800s, first of all, there was a need to establish why slavery is such an evil thing. And I believe that Paul begins to do that here, even uh, in the three things that he makes very clear here. One of them is this, that all human beings are to be treated with honor, including then slaves are to treat their masters with honor and masters to treat their slaves with honor because they are fellow human beings. And furthermore, if those slaves are Christians, and then their Christian masters are to recognize them as brothers and sisters, because you see all believers in Jesus Christ are to be considered brothers and sisters. We're all part of the same family, the family of God. And what follows then is that no one is to be looked down on as less than, no matter what the economic relationship may be. However, at the same time, Paul makes a, another point here very clear, <clears throat> and that is this that the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ was even more important than one's own personal freedoms. And so the instructions that Paul gave here for both slaves and for masters were given with a heart concern that the behavior of the believing slave or master would be a good witness to the other who might, not yet, be an or who might yet be an unbeliever. And that really only makes sense to us as we look at this from an eternal perspective. And we recognize the shortness of this earthly life compared to the unending situation that each one would face in the next life or eternity. That just touches on that subject, but let me move on to um, those four, well actually five words that make up the title of my message today. And it starts with sound words, healthy words, words that are correct teaching and doctrine. Well, how is it to be determined which words are sound? or correct teaching. Well, what I see here is this, that the teachers of sound words and right doctrine always exalt Jesus Christ. 
Verse 3 says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there are all kinds of religious teachers out there teaching all kinds of spirituality. And not all of them should be listened to or trusted. Some are teaching things that really exalt themselves, putting themselves up as super spiritual celebrities. We need to watch out for them. Paul makes clear here that teachers of sound words and right doctrine always exalt Jesus Christ. They readily say that it's not about me, it's about him. He's the Lord. He's my Lord. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the promised Savior of the world, that's who I worship, that's who I seek to follow. So teachers of sound words and right doctrine always exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, and then they also always promote godliness. And what's godliness? It is complete devotion to the true religion. It is seeking to then live our lives in, in such a way that we are consistent with the Christian faith that we, prof that we profess. That's to be the goal uh, of each sincere Christian. On the other hand, as you look on here, it tells us about how false teachers of a different doctrine have other goals. Their, their teachings are more about self than they are about Jesus Christ. And they are teachers of false and heretical doctrines. And Paul points out to Timothy here, that, and to us today too, then, that these false teachers are arrogant, they're ignorant, they're divisive, and they're greedy. Arrogant. He, he uses the words here, puffed up with conceit. They have an inflated view of themselves. They think they know more than anyone else, including God and his word. Whereas a teacher of sound words humbles himself before God and his word, the false teacher hardens his heart against them. And Paul says here about them that they are actually ignorant. That is, they think, they think they know so much, but in reality they understand nothing. To be ignorant is to be lacking knowledge or, or awareness. But the thing about someone who is ignorant is that they are also lacking awareness of the fact that they are ignorant. False teachers also, he tells us here, are divisive. And have you noticed that? They seem to love to sow seeds of discontent and disharmony. He talks about in verse 4 here, with an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels with words. And what results from their false teaching and their love of controversy, Paul says that it produces envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction. And doesn't that just sum up what, what seems to be going on in much of our political landscape these days? Day after day, someone is slandering someone else, casting suspicions on them, and, and stirring up friction. And who is susceptible to such teachings and to be drawn into that envy and dissension and so on? Well, well, people who spend too much time on social media, for one. Because they tend to listen to sound bites and spew back sound bites without even checking to know if they're actually true. And it doesn't speak about that directly here, but it certainly seems to fit. But what it does say here is that people susceptible to false teachings are, according to verse 5, they are people that are, are of depraved mind and deprived of the truth. People who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord, and they don't have a goal of living godly lives, and who are not reading then or hearing the word of God uh, as found in the Bible. And so you see, it, it's possible to be a Christian, but to still be very vulnerable to believing things that are false. If you're not reading the Bible for yourself, and you're not going to a church that holds up the Bible as the inerrant word of God, then, then you are all the more susceptible to the lies of Satan 
and his false teachers. And Paul says that false teachers are arrogant and ignorant, divisive, and then he also says that they are greedy. They, they see godliness, or at least religion, as a means of financial gain for themselves or their organization. And you know, human history includes various attempts of commercialization of religion. Certainly a dark spot in, in Christian history was when back in the 1500s, the Roman Catholic Church was selling indulgences. That is, they were telling the lie that giving money to the church would, would buy one's dead relative's um, way out of purgatory. And that was really the plan of the papacy in order to fund the building of this massive St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. In more recent years, we've had cults that require giving 10% or maybe more to their ministry, or TV evangelists that promise personal prosperity if you just send in some seed money to their organization. But you know, there are also mainline Christian denominations that have wandered far from the standards of godliness that are found in the Bible, and that are still soaking in great wealth from folks who still blindly are loyal to their denomination. I'm reminded, for instance, of a pastor friend of mine who, in visiting with another pastor in the town he was serving in, um, heard that pastor describe his pastoral job this way. He said it's about bringing money in for the franchise, and he was referring to his denomination. Paul says that false teachers are arrogant, ignorant, divisive, and greedy, whereas true godliness with contentment is just the opposite. True godliness understands something very important. If you look at verse 7 here, it understands that we have brought nothing into this world, and we can't take anything out of it either. Have you thought about that lately? We, we come into this world naked, and then we start accumulating stuff, don't we? And in our country, we have so much stuff that it seems like everywhere they're, they're building more uh, storage units, aren't they? Just uh, right along interstate, uh, on the way there into Moorhead now, there's a beautiful uh, line up there of, of units. If I understand right, you pay about $450 a month to store even in the smallest one of them for a month, yeah. At some point, though, we who are accumulating stuff have to start giving it away or else our kids have to sort it all out later. Because as the saying goes, you know, I've never seen a U-Haul being pulled by a hearse. There's a story told of a businessman who had an angel come to him and visit him and, and promise to grant him one request. Well, the man thought about it and he, he requested a copy of the stock market quotes from a year in the future. And as he was then studying the future prices of the New York Stock Exchange, uh, he was boasting about his plans to increase his, his riches. Uh, that would be a result now of this insider picture he has. Then he glanced across the newspaper page only to see the obituary part, and there was a picture of himself there. Suddenly he saw things a whole lot different as he recognized the certainty of his own death. Money longer seemed so important. Well, true godliness grasps that all that we have here, it's just stuff. You can't take it with you. And there's no good reason then to accumulate way more than you need. True godliness learns contentment with the basic needs of food and covering. Verse 8, if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. Now, does that mean we shouldn't ever wish for anything else besides uh, food on our plate and clothes on our body and a roof over our head? No, not necessarily. Although we need to recognize that many parts of the world, they might feel blessed if they have all three the same day. 
I believe we need to ask God, though, to help us see things his way, and that food and covering are the necessities of life. It's about impossible to be content if you don't have them. But all of the additional things that we receive in life then are to be considered extra blessings from the Lord, beyond the necessities. And they should cause us to then express gratitude to him for his generosity to us. And so living then in a daily relationship with the Lord, a relationship of thankfulness for what he provides, then is true godliness with contentment. And he says about that, that is great gain. It's a gain way better than a million dollars, way better even than having the winning ticket to the 2.4 billion lottery in California. Paul also points out here that, that being poor and desiring to rich can come with some real dangers. Those who desire to get rich fall into a possibility of love of money, which he says is a, is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, recognize, money in itself is amoral. It's neither good or bad. But the love of money can be the root of all kinds of evil things. It, it can lead us to then selfishness and cheating and fraud, robbery, envy, quarreling, hatred, violence, and even murder. It can lead to drug pushing and pornography sales and blackmail and exploiting the weak and neglect of good causes and, and betrayal of friends. Desire to get rich can lead to temptation in any of those areas. Temptation and a snare, he says here. It, it can be a trap of the devil leading people into senseless and harmful desires that result in ruin and destruction. And that destruction might be here in this, this life. You know, there are plenty of uh, lottery winners, for instance, that have had sudden wealth really be the beginning of a downward spiral in their life. Plenty of celebrities who are rich and famous have still felt so empty that they've gotten to the point they've taken their own lives. And Paul warns here um, that even believers in Jesus Christ, um, love of money for them too can be the devil's trick to lead you away from the Lord. Verse 10, he says, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Love of material possessions may so distract us from our life with God that we don't find time to nurture our spiritual life and we gradually then fall away completely, even from the Christian faith, and go lost for eternity. So how do we avoid that? Well, with the help of God, we practice contentment each day. We recognize God's goodness to us and what he has provided. And also, be involved in a Christian church where you hear God's word preached and you're encouraged by the fellowship of believers to live a life of godliness and contentment. There, there's a little further on in this chapter, also one other thing I want to point to. And if you look at verse 17 to 19, we're going to come back to the others next week. But in those verses, uh, we have some instructions to those who are rich. Uh, who does that include? Well, in a way, you would have to say, all of us are rich compared to people in many parts of the world. I think it is good to note here at the same time, though, that, that this very exhortation to the rich, who are Christians, should verify to us that it's not wrong to be rich. God blesses some people with immense wealth, and providing that they keep their heads on straight, they can use their wealth tremendously to bless others and to help to advance the work of the kingdom of God. Look with me at those verses there, 17 to 19. As for the rich in this present world, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides with everything to enjoy. 
there to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So what are the instructions to the rich here? I, I see four things. First of all, don't be haughty. Remember where your riches came from. And, and yeah, you may have worked really hard for them, but ultimately God has given them to you and, and he also could take them away at any time. Secondly, don't, don't set your hopes on riches, but on God. You know, if we have our hopes set on riches, then when it's, as we're dealing with runaway inflation and the dropping stock market, it's going to cause alarm for us and our blood pressure to rise and, and we might even despair as we look to the future. But instead, God calls us to recognize how much he's provided for us and to then give out of our surplus to his work and to meet the needs of those that are less fortunate. And that's what these opportunities that Pastor Ryan mentioned here are all about. We've been having an opportunity to give to those that are in need. Well, Paul instructs the rich here also to do good and to be generous and ready to share. And then also, he says, and to store up treasure in heaven. And I know of no better way to do that than to be involved in bringing the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that so desperately needs to know the forgiveness of sin and, and, and to know hope beyond the grave. We, we store up treasures in heaven by doing what we can to bring others with us to glory. And so, as you come back to that title today, sound words, godliness, contentment, and generosity, they all point us back to Jesus and they flow in that order. Right doctrine about Jesus leads to godly living. When we reflect on, on Jesus and what he's done for us and his sacrificial death on the cross to provide us forgiveness of sin and eternal life, then we respond in our heart by saying, Lord, let me live my life here on earth for you and for others, that they too might receive the eternal riches. So right doctrine about Jesus leads to godly living, which leads to contentment with what God's provided, which leads then to being glad to share it with those that are less fortunate. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, for your word today. And, and uh, Lord, as we think about our own lives, uh, we have people with various levels of income and so on here. But all of us have been blessed richly by you with far more than just the very basics of food and, and covering. And so we want to recognize that and give you thanks. And Lord, help us that we would not be caught up in the trap uh, of this world that, that uh, thinks that we always need more. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to recognize that even more important is, is a life lived in a relationship with you and being ready for eternity. We've been reminded even this last week, so Lord, we don't know how long we have. But, but you do. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to live each day then. Uh, thankful for what you've given us. And uh, glad to share with those in need. And Lord, we pray that you'd continue to use this church to be a light in this community to point to the difference that Jesus makes. Uh, we, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.